Welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Piper without Ronald again for another week. Uh, I figured out where he is. Where is he, dude? He is uh, he is at a Harbor Network pastors <laughs> retreat. So there's there's which is so here's the uh, thing. I I kind of eye rolled at that at first, yeah. and then I immediately had a sense of almost relief mm. because. It just felt like a return to normalcy. Yeah, that's true. Ronnie is ditching us yeah. for a, a church network pastor's gathering, out of which yeah. he is Yoda tweeting to his just deep and rich heart's content. Oh, really? And uh, so I just, I, I feel like we, we're finally coming out of the doldrums of, of t- uh, 2020 and all of that mess. Cause, yeah. Because we're back, or he's back, and we're on our Yeah, own. he's back, meaning he's gone. So yeah, if yeah. if Ron's gone and Yoda tweeting at a high level, that means we're back to like pre twenty twenty levels of output for him, and he's really quote unquote working again. Um, so his yeah, he's working it is what he's doing. Yeah, working connections, <laughs> yeah, yeah. working relationships. Dude, there's there's nothing Ron loves more than like dreaming big dreams, casting a little vision. You know, I think Ron could be <laughs> like he could be a leadership slime ball. That that actually would have been. Like the move for him, I think. Um, you know, one of these kind of Christian leadership networking. Yeah, it's just too too bad he has integrity and stuff. No, dude, that's that is a real bummer because that that could have been that could have been a great pivot for him. But uh, alas, pipe, we are here in the studio. We have to do radio together. We get to do radio together, and we have a really intriguing topic for today. We're going to do a Christian dating advice episode. But before we do that, I want to talk about a new relationship that we're in. Uh, as a company, we're in a relationship with a company called VintageSports.com. Uh, just like it sounds, go to the computer, look up www.VintageSports.com, and you'll be taken on a, a wild ride through baseball caps, jerseys, flannels, flannel jerseys, uh, football stuff, vintage football gear, vintage basketball jerseys and gear. Uh, this company has everything, and we started a relationship with them, Pipe, and uh, I got to tell you, I'm thrilled with it. Uh, did you get your gear this week, and if so, what did you get? I did. I got it, I got it a couple days nice. ago, and uh, so they – I will say it was – I had paralysis trying to decide what to get. Dude, I did too. There were too many things. They had so, many, so much awesome stuff. They Like everything from like signed collectibles. Yeah. So I almost got the – they have a a replica Babe Ruth signed baseball uh, that's chewed like the baseball from uh, from the sandlot. Oh, incredible! You know, he hits over the incredible. fence. Incredible. Except it was sold out. Uh, I a hundred percent would have gotten that yeah. and would have been featured heavily in my office. Instead, I went with the Ebbets um, vintage University of Minnesota baseball cap. So that that flannel yeah. wool old school hat, uh, and then I got the. The vintage black leather baseball mitt. I think you got the brown Dude, one. Dude, I did. Right? And it's spectacular. Like, so I got the mitt, and it's it's funny we were both drawn to that. I want to know why you were drawn to it. But for me, like, baseball mitts are they're they're too modern looking for me now. Like, I don't want a bright red mitt or yeah. a bright blue uh-huh. mitt. Like I I want something that looks like it's leather, like it's old. Um, so I got this mitt, dude. I put it on. And I started like pounding my fist into it like you do. And the sound that yep. it provided was spectacular. Like it, it is, it is aged leather. It's beautiful. 
I've got it like displayed in my smoke room while I'm while I'm not playing catch. It'll be it'll be displayed in my smoke room. It's a great mitt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the same way you do. So I feel the same way about baseball, Mitch, that I do alternate uniforms. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. just generally, I hate mm. them. Uh, all the new versions of them. I like classic. And so the one that you got is like sort of a, a deep red brown, mm-hmm. just a classic, classic one. I got the one that's all black. Yeah. And yeah, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, Phil Rizzuto might have worn this, yep. you know, that kind of thing. It, it has that old, just that old classic feel to it. I own two baseball mitts already, and they're the ones that I wore. In junior high and high school. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. And so, uh, I, you know, like my, my little league up through junior high mitt and my high school baseball mitt. And like, I don't, why would I need another one for, exactly. like, I don't play ball. But this was one that I looked at and I was like, this feels like both usable and collectible. Absolutely. And uh, it's really high quality too. Like, it seems like a really good mitt. Yeah, their gear is super nice. Uh, I got a hat as well. I got a, a vintage Detroit Lions hat. And uh, yeah, I couldn't be more thrilled. The shipping was like immediate. Um, you yes. know, I feel like it's so fast. Yeah, as soon as we put the order in, like the gear, the gear was here like a day or two later. And uh, yeah, it's super nice stuff. It's packaged really nicely. Vintage sports. I was amazed at the number of stuff they have for like old old baseball leagues yeah. or old old logos so i'm just looking at their home their homepage right now they have the homestead grays mm-hmm. uh who is a negro league baseball team played in pittsburgh cool papa bell a whole bunch like oscar charleston a whole bunch of guys played for them they have old like long beach state and university of california hats with the sweet old logos yep. they have the san francisco seals baseball cap which was an old baseball team that the giants kind of moved in yep. and replaced it's just it's and then here's one from the the uh, Tokyo Kyojin Giants from 1940. So Dude, a Japanese crazy. baseball team. Just, yeah, some super deep cuts. They have jerseys from all different leagues, yeah. soccer teams, et cetera. It's, yeah. it's pretty awesome. It's really comprehensive. You'll have a blast looking through the site. Again, it's VintageSports.com. Check them out. Support their company. Support our company. Uh, Piper, we'll talk about our, uh, our other sponsor, our long-term life partner, dwell bible at the end of this dating advice episode but uh i want to i want to get us started and i want to kind of tee you up by asking where did the where did the genesis of this idea come from like how did we how did we get here yeah so it was it was two things and it's been stewing for a while (laughs) and then a listener question actually pushed it over the top so uh i started i started dating my now wife uh early in 2019 mm-hmm. um and you know once we once we started dating dating not just sort of grabbing coffee here and there mm-hmm. and you know started telling friends that we were going out and whatnot uh one of the first questions that a guy asked me a friend of mine asked me his first question was that's great is she a calvinist huh and i had like I was totally stumped, not because I didn't know the answer, but because it's just the weirdest question to ask. And so what it sent my mind down this this trail of, oh, there are guys who that's the framework through which they try to enter the dating world. Mm-hmm. And I say try because I have a very hard time imagining <laughs> them being successful. Yeah. Um, the second thing, the thing that tipped it over the edge was the question we answered on the podcast a few episodes ago, asked by a listener, uh, why? what was the question exactly? It was... Um, are there any Christian single men who aren't a-holes right, was the question. Right. And those two things seemed to merge in my mind. And I was like, maybe Calvinist dude is the dude she was picturing when she's like, these guys are the worst. Yeah. 
So that was what kind of spurred this this whole thought process for me. No, that's good. That's that's really interesting. And dude, it's 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 so funny how it's sort of become like um a customary standard to to kind of crap on Calvinist guys and and we should be or I should be upfront in saying that I am one, right? So like it's it's a Right. Yes, we're not yeah. we're not dogging on Calvinism as a thing. Right. I think both of us are pretty comfortable saying we are reformed Calvinistic. Men. Exactly. And 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 yet Calvinism has become you know one of these easy punching bags oftentimes for good reason. And yeah, so let's let's get into it. Like let's get into the whole aspect of how much do your theological Venn diagrams have to overlap before you just you know, spend seven bucks and ask a girl to get a cup of coffee. And I think this is, this is like step one of the, of the lockup, like the brain lock that happens to Calvinist dudes where, you know, you sort of feel like you've got to exchange theological white papers before you can, you know, sip a cup of coffee together. And I'm reminded of this. It's interesting that you bring this up. Yeah, go ahead. Guys, there's nothing there's nothing hotter than <laughs> laying out your theological white paper for the girl oh, totally. who's sitting across from you with the cup of coffee in her hand. I mean, that's that's foreplay in our family, you know. Like <laughs> She's like, "I love what you did with the footnote there on page, you know, 74. Yeah. That that really uh that really works for me." Um, no, like I I'm reminded of a pipe because Saturday is graduation at the university where I work. And year after year at graduation, I see these really amazing people graduating college, not like never having gone on a date. And these aren't like socially awkward people. And I just think to myself, huh, like how does that happen? You know, and I, I think a lot of what we're going to cover today is is probably part and parcel with that happening. And that's not to say that you have to find your spouse in college, but, um, you know, I, I would think that back when we went to college, the expectation was kind of that you would be, you know, going on dates or dating people or sort of active in that realm. Would you, would you say that was the case back, back in the day for you? Yeah, I, Absolutely. I mean, in, in, in the Christian college realm, there's sort of the old cliche joke of ring by spring or your money back kind of thing, <laughs> yeah, or getting yeah. your MRS degree and right. all of that stuff. Right. I, I think a couple of things have changed just culturally. One is the average age of marriage is like nine years later than it used to be. It's sure. a lot closer to 30 than 20 at this point. Um, so dating in college feels almost uh, pr- like it's, it's uh, premature. Right. And then the other thing is like, Sex has become so casual. Now that's a weird, that's a weird thing in the Christian college realm. Yeah. But sex has become so casual that like you can be sleeping with somebody without seeing somebody steadily or sleeping around. Yeah. In just in the broader yeah. sphere of things, and so the idea of like the idea of settling down to marriage has kind of be, come to a con, you know kind of a confused, less prominent place in terms of the, the overall value system. Yeah. I think what we really need is Dominion Dating to solve this for us, but uh, we're going to do our best anyway. Dude, can we go one minute on Dominion Dating? In as much as, like, I think they did the classic sort of 2006 emergent church thing, which is putting out some questionable content and getting all of us to troll it, and then using that as, like, fuel to move their company forward. And uh, I kind of respect it. I, I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah, so if you if you go on their website now mm-hmm. and you scroll down to like the testimonials 
part, like we are, we are featured there. And they did that within a week of our podcast releasing where we talked about that. That's incredible. So yeah, they, I think it was a strategy for I'm, them. I'm not entirely sure it's a real company. Yeah. It might be somebody who's just, just dragging the Christian world. Yeah. And if so, I have, I just, a, just a rousing standing cheering applause for them yeah it's so well done i'm a fan of like not that the then they're just savvy yeah the big committed like meta joke you know what i mean like i'm gonna start a fake company or like start a fake website and uh yeah somebody that goes all in on a joke i'm uh you know i i respect it so hat tip to dominion dating for uh whatever it is they're doing over there um (laughs) for for dragging us one way or the other exactly exactly I think it was solid work by them. But but yeah, back to the the whole dating conundrum and not to take this to like too serious a level, but do you think like do you, do you think the the existence of porn being like ubiquitous for the last, I don't know, 15 years, do you think it sort of turned down the volume on like the the urgency to get married? Um and and it's kind of staved everything off for a decade or so such that um. <clears throat> I don't know. You've got college guys graduating who have never been on a date. I don't, I think I might phrase it a little differently in that. I don't know if it's about the urgency to get married. You know, Mm -hmm. what is it? First Corinthians says, if you, you know, if you burn with passion, get married. Basically, if you can't keep it in your pants, you know, (laughs) marriage is where you should take that. Uh, It's not the only reason, obviously, but that's, that's a real thing. Um, and so porn has alleviated that. But I think what it's really done is just stunted a bunch of dudes. Yeah. Just yeah. millions and millions of dudes who don't have any concept of how to interact with a woman in a non kind of objective, like objective sexualized way. Sure. The theological thing is kind of the same thing. Like if you're looking at a woman and grading her on a five point Calvinist scale or whatever. Right. It's. It's not demeaning in a sexual manner, but it is dehumanizing. Yeah. Like, you're not listening to who she is at all. You're only saying, yeah. I have this criteria that I'm trying to, like, squash you into. Yeah, totally. That's a great point. And I want to I wanna lean into it for a minute. Like, where do you think that pathology comes from? The whole, like, scouting report, like, I have to, I have to, like, vet this person on the front end before we can get a coffee. Because I, I think... And I don't think I was a male hoe bag in college. Maybe I was, but I feel like I was, I was having, relatively speaking, lots of first dates just as a sort of means of, I think this person is interesting. So I don't know. I'm going to take her to get dinner or we're going to go play putt putt or go see a movie or whatever as a means of like getting to know the person and ascertaining whether, you know, there will be more dates. Whereas I feel like now, there's more of a like scouting report. I got to figure out where she's at on Calvinism and is she hot enough? And you know, all all of that stuff sort of, it it does stunt a person. It slows a person down on the front end. Yeah. I, I think the I kiss dating goodbye and like purity culture movement stunted a lot of that too, Mm -hmm. where you seem relatively unaffected by that, or you you did at you know eighteen or nineteen years we old. We snuck in before it, dude. That didn't exist yeah. when you were eighteen well, or nineteen. I didn't. Yeah, I kissed dating goodbye landed when I was in high school. Okay, and like so, it it was the rage when I was wow. sixteen to twenty years old, dude. That's wild. What did that look like at so, Wheaton when that thing was the rage? I can't imagine. It 
it meant that like asking a girl on a date wasn't just, hey, want to grab coffee? Mm-hmm. Sure. And then like if there's not something that tells both of you we should do this again, you just sort of friendly go your own way. Yeah. You know, like when I hear my parents talk about dating back in their time, you know, there was a difference between like dating and most people did that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you went and got, you went and got a milkshake with this person or yeah. went to the basketball game with that person or whatever. And then you started going steady was the phrase. And it right. sounds so archaic. It does. All of that was off the table. Yeah. When, when I got to, you know, my late teens, early twenties, because there was two options. There was like, are you going to marry this person or are you figuring out who this person is to see if they're worth like you're pursuing at that point. Yeah. You're not just going yeah. on dates with. Yeah. And so it's it's fraught mm-hmm. with the pressure of it. You could you couldn't easily ask somebody out without like because you you had to define what you were doing right up front, basically. Like, hey, I'm pursuing you, or hey, hey, this is just a casual thing. But if it's just a casual thing, then they're hearing from you you're not that interested because right. like the the whole dynamic had kind of turned upside down. No, it totally had. And um it, it still to this day shocks me that that thing got so popular so fast. I mean, in retrospect, maybe we shouldn't take our cues on dating from like a 22 year old guy's first book. Like he was 19 when he wrote that. Oh my gosh, 19, dude! That's incredible. Um, so the reason it got that much, it there was the I, I think the reason it took off was a couple. It was twofold. One was there was like the the general conservative Christian fear of like sexual. Yeah, you know, kind of craze, sure. which that's always been the case since like mm-hmm. the the beginning of time. Yeah. Yeah. Parents trying to protect their kids from diseases and pregnancy and general debauchery. Right. Um, but then the second was it was a book that was made popular by parents. Yeah, yeah, it like, was. Teens weren't reading this and going, "This is genius." Yeah, moms and dads were reading this and going, "You need to read this because it saves the parents a bunch of trouble." It basically, hands them the keys, yeah. rather than handing their kids decision making and, and independence. Dude, totally. And I I know I've told this story before, but when that book dropped or when it was starting to trend, we were we were a year or so out of college. We were on the mission field in Lithuania, and that book hit like a you know like like dynamite. I mean, uh, we were at this con- convention for basically uh, Christian school and homeschool educators. Uh, so it was a bunch of it was a bunch of expat Americans in Europe um, who are Christians, and the book was all they could talk about. And it was absolutely the phenomenon that you're describing. It was all moms and dads who were super stoked to like regain control over their kids' dating lives and. KK and I, having just gotten married, we were looking at this thing with like fascination and horror. Like, really? You're reading a book by a 19 year old guy and that's that's going to like, you know, set the table for your kids dating lives. This is fascinating, you know, but they were they were all um, they were all on board with it almost immediately, which like raises interesting discernment questions and it raises interesting questions about like for me and, and this is. This is me viewing it through the lens of a parent in 2021, so take it with a grain of salt. But like, I would be much more worried about my kid sitting alone in his dorm room with his phone for four years at college than him like taking a different girl to coffee every month, you know. And and that's you know that comes with its own difficulties too. I mean, if he's leading people on or you know being questionable in that way, that's a problem. But like, I don't know. I I would fear. 
the isolation and the the temptations that the phone provides more than you know just going on some dates yeah i I think that's you know working at a church now and a pretty young church so we've got a lot of young families and a lot and a lot of young single folks there's a lot of guys between the ages of you know 24 and 32 who are still basically they have like dating paralysis sure and and they're not like loser dudes right, a lot of right. them some of them are but most for the most part it's <laughs> like they're 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 gainfully employed they're investing in the church yeah. they're like they're they're checking all the boxes of that's a worthy dude yeah yeah and they are absolutely paralyzed when it comes to to taking the in their mind it's like a terrifyingly bold step to ask a girl out now I, and i don't understand it at all yeah help me understand it i know you you just said that you don't understand it but i don't either and i want to i want to know more because rejection is hard and we've both dealt with it in our careers as writers we both dealt with it i'm sure as young men who asked people out like so rejection is hard but like to me also hard was the motif of sitting in my room alone not doing anything and potentially spending the rest of my life alone. Like the thought of that was really hard too. And I think that compelled me to want to, you know, ask some people to coffee and see how it went. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I feel like there's a sort of a necessary risk assessment that needs to happen for these guys. Mm -hmm. Like describe for me in detail, what is the worst thing that could happen if you like that you look across the lobby of the church or the, you know, the lady who lives down the street or whatever like you look at her, you're like, what happens if you walk up and say, hey, would you, would you like to grab coffee sometime? Right. What's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. And you have to get like 72 steps in before you get to real tragedy. That's true, man. That's so true. You know, the in the moment, it's like, no, thanks. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah. What What is it? Maybe a touch of embarrassment. Maybe. Yeah. A touch of you embarrassment. Know, will- maybe you cut... It'll be a long Maybe you caught her on a bad we... day. Maybe she's seeing somebody else. Like whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 nothing lost. Exactly. Exactly. I don't. I think. I think that's it. There's. There's like a, a narrative in their minds to some degree of a. If this doesn't go well, it reflects on me as a whole person. Yeah, and I think which is gentlemen is absolute nonsense. It really is. You know, it's. It really is. <laughs> especially in, it reflects more on you as a person if you never sort of. Uh, have the stones to ask someone out. Oh, totally. And and especially if we're drawing our cues on personhood and worth, you know, from Christ and scripture and the gospel, not to like Jesus juke it. But, you know, yeah. if, if, the, if the sum total of our personhood is, you know, succeeding at everything and only having girls say yes to our overtures about dating and only getting told yes when we put you know, professional hooks in the water, like, yeah, then we're all going to be disappointed, you know, and we're all going to have, you know, horrible self images or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's got to be rooted in something deeper such that, yeah, we can be emboldened to ask a girl to coffee and potentially have her say no and not be like a life wrecking, you know, moment. Um, but yeah, so my- or even go out a few times and then be like, Hey, this isn't going anywhere. Maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. Yeah. That, you know, that sets you up for like, there, there's an increasing risk of disappointment. But if you're, if you go into it with the sense of, I would like this to be enjoyable for all parties involved, yeah. which means I'm going to treat her right. with respect. I'm going to learn about her as a person. Yeah. And if she decides 
She does not want to go any further with this. Right. Like, it's not an insult. It's just it was a worthwhile three or four or six coffees, dinners, whatever yeah. it was. And and then you, you you move on because that's what happened. And it doesn't it doesn't ruin your life. Yeah, I'm going to plan it. I'm not going to be all, you know, schlumpy and shruggy and, you know, well, whatever you want to do. You know, like I'm going to. I'm going to take some steps, right? Like there's nobility in that. And hopefully, yeah, even if it doesn't result in a marriage, you could, you could actually see yourself having a good time in, uh, in that kind of scenario for sure. So here, here's my question to you, Pipe, as a man of the cloth and as a, as a father to two daughters, like where is the disconnect in terms of you know, raising these whole generations of young men who don't have the backbone to do that? Like where are, where are fathers getting it wrong? And we're getting perilously close here to the like, quote unquote, manhood discussion, which terrifies both of us because we can't ever say anything right in that. But, you know, I'm raising two boys. I've got two teenage boys and I want them to be able to do this right. So how have we like swung and missed as a whole generation of fathers on this level? Well, I think... I think the manhood discussion is part of it yeah. because as much as there is a version of manhood that has, that has become problematic Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is reactive to sort of soft, passive kind of non-men. So what there, you need to raise your sons. I need to raise my daughters to have expectations for the men in their life of like a guy who is, who is a, a Christ reflecting man. And you know, what does it look like in dating? That's a little bit of a weird connection, but there's, there's warmth, there's dignity. There's the kind of man who like little kids and vulnerable people feel safe around. Uh, There's, he's assertive, but like kind and humble, you know, gentle and lowly to, to uh, use the title of a book that is all the rage in every book list. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I just, it's not easy, but like it's not that hard to find the standard. So you yeah. get the, the version of manhood that's a bunch of the, the Christian a hole men, yeah. and you go, okay, well that's off the table, yeah, because it's not Christ like. You have the version of men who don't do anything. Well, that's off the table because that's not Christ like. So what's left? Yeah, <laughs> the, the the example that that we actually see, and it's not easy to be that. It's not, you know, I think both of us probably feel like we would give ourselves fairly middling to low grades on that on a daily basis, <laughs> yeah. but it's the aspiration. Yeah, yeah, for it's sure. the aspiration for you as a dad. I would like my daughters to look for that version of a guy. Yeah. And I think where we've gone wrong as dads is that we go all or nothing. And so we're either raising like glass chewing Neanderthals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or men with no masculinity. I know. And it's, it's so, and there's nothing in between. Yeah. And it's not even in between. That's the wrong way to put it. It's a whole different like dimension. Yeah. Just look at, you know, measuring manhood by an entirely different standard. Yeah. No, you're right, man. You're absolutely right. And like, I kind of get the thousand foot view of it as a college professor. And I see, I see guys come in either being like demure to a fault, right? Like they're scared of their own shadow. And then I see the glass chewing, like table pounding, you know, strident Neanderthal types. And by God's grace, like some of that smooths out and you get, you know, by year four or a couple of years after graduation or whatever, you're, you're, you start to see some of the ideal that we talk about come to the surface, you know, because I think it's, 
it's guys who have had their hearts changed by the gospel, you know, and, and they are trying to like, um, you know, find some of what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, I think for a lot of them, and I think technology has made this easier. It's just made it easier to be like kind of a fake boyfriend. Like I'll Snapchat a girl for a year and a half and she'll think it's something, but in my mind, it's nothing. And like, <laughs> that's really confusing for people. You know what I mean? Oh, and that that sentence just makes me want to, I don't know, go drink myself into a stupor or something. I Snapchatted a girl for a year and a half. Well, dude, I, he, I hear this like time and time again. I know, again. it's a real you know, thing. It's a, it's it's just a the real worst. thing. Like, um, so you're getting this fake version of intimacy, this fake version of, you know, friendship, basically. Um, and then you actually do get in a room with somebody without the barrier of the phone between you and you, you can't figure out what to talk about, you know, like there's nothing actually there. Um, and that has to be horribly disillusioning for both parties. You know, that must be really hard. Yeah. Um, I, I, one, one thought earlier, you know, we talked about the glass chewing Neanderthal. Mm -hmm. I think adjacent to the glass chewing Neanderthal is the like theologically flagellating. Yes. You know, intellectual yeah that's right because both of them lack the same thing and it's any version of like human emotional intelligence yep how does the human mind and heart actually work right they're only looking at you know measurable factors yeah it's it's uh you know so the the, the way we started this talking about the guy who's like is she a calvinist like that's not a human question right Right. That, that's a that's a data question. It is, and and so <laughs> data is easier to deal with than humans, yeah. especially yeah. complex women. Yeah, maybe that's redundant, but you know where there's there's a story, there's emotions, there's yeah. you know their background, their relational history, what they're looking for in life, their aspirations. Totally, that's all very complicated. It's a lot easier to be like, yeah, but how do you answer these five questions? I know, man, and yet we've we've distilled it to like. Yeah, how many points of a Calvinist are you? When really the question you should be asking is, you know, did you have siblings and what was growing up like and what did your parents do for a living? And like all these foundational kind of tell me yeah, about what makes you laugh. Yeah, what makes you laugh? Tell me about what do you like? You know, tell me about you as a person as a means of getting to know you, the person. And I actually think. There are a few things, Pipe, that are more joyful than like that moment in a relationship, right? Where you're just like hungry to to know everything about the background of the person and how they grew up and what their life was like before you entered it. And I do think that's so joyful. And I hate that, um, yeah, Snapchatting for a year and a half or whatever has robbed people of being able to really enjoy that moment in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and those things are like you can glean an enormous amount about somebody's faith and Christian character and probably their more, you know, structured theology mm -hmm. through those answers. Sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because if you're listening, you're gonna hear something about how they're how they're talking about God's direction in their life or coming to faith. And and frankly, that's a good question to ask pretty early on, is like did you know, did you go to church as a family? How did you come to know the Lord? Yeah. Because that like that opens up a world of conversation and it doesn't need to be like, ah, she said she chose Jesus, not Jesus chose her. Exactly. She's out. F you know? minus. Yeah, check She's please. The state's over. You know. And but yeah, it's <clears throat> I, I think 
I think there are guys who just, I, I think another, I think another way we have failed as parents is not teaching our children. I think it's sons and daughters alike to really engage other humans fully, you know, ask questions and listen. Like, how do you have a real conversation where you really are paying attention to what they're saying? Yeah. Is I don't know how you date somebody if you can't ask a question and listen to the answer and then ask another question based off of what they just said. (laughs) Dude, that's right. I mean, it's, it's, but there are people who can't, I know pipe. And I, and I think most people can't, and I'm interested in why that is. And I think it's because, Again, we're talking generationally here. So we're talking the last 15 or 20 years worth of data. I think if all you ever see is, you know, dad comes home from work, you know, he goes into the den, he's on his computer all night. uh, There's no dinner table conversation. We don't see our parents being social. So I, I think what I'm getting at is there's a whole generation of like, People who are college age now who have really never seen conversation happen at a high level. Mm -hmm. And so they have no framework for it. They have no paradigm for what it looks like to listen well and ask a great follow-up question and see a conversation kind of take shape. Um, And I think that's troubling. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know where you learned it, but I learned it from my grandpa would have these big dinners where like we would drive into the city we'd drive into chicago and go to this one restaurant fibos which is no longer there uh which is heartbreaking it was the best italian restaurant on the south side of chicago and we would go in and there they'd be these big group dinners where like the conversation was just rapid fire like it was flying around and stories would be told and follow-up questions would get asked and i'm like oh this is what it looks like you know this is what it looks like to you know kind of be in a room and doing it well. And I just think like my guy, college students, they don't have that experience, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I got, I had a different experience. Just our family, um, there was a lot of discussions, mm-hmm. but it was a little bit more like, here's a topic. Yeah. And then we all kind of like pack of dogs attack the topic. Yeah. Um, which is, is a good intellectual exercise, sure. not as great for interpersonal interaction. I had to learn. I had a lot of learning to do as I became an adult of what what listening really means. Instead yeah. of listening to respond or to kind of like to volley, yeah, listening to how how is this person saying what they're saying? And I sure. feel like I'm still not great at this. It's like a constant point of of effort for me. Yeah, how are they saying what they're saying? Uh, what's behind their answer? Kind of the, the again the sort of full human element as opposed to just subject matter. Yeah. And I think the big shift for me is that I've now come to realize that those are fruitful conversations and the the, the bantering kind of thing or that that volleying is actually exhausting. Yeah. Um, so I was good at interacting. Yeah. I've always been pretty good at social interaction, banter. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that was kind of a defense mechanism, you know, being yeah. a pastor's kid and then whatever, being able to like navigate a room with a few pithy comments and then escape the other side kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it 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 has taken a lot of work to get to the place of like, oh, I'm I'm an interested conversationalist, yeah. not just yeah. a talking head. And maybe this is a bit easier for us because we're writers. And I think when you're a writer, you're you're deeply interested in stories, which makes you yeah. kind of by default deeply interested in people. And you know, you want to know 
how did your experience shape who you are today? Right? Like it's, it's, it's like this conversation. How did you learn how mm-hmm. to conversate? You know, like that's a, to me, that's an interesting question. And, um, you know, it's funny part and parcel with like Christian college culture now is like, we get a lot of, we get a lot of our students out of the like homeschool debate circuit. So like, you know, these guys can stand in front of a room and give you, you know, five points on why, you know, gun control is the worst or whatever. But, but yet talking to a girl over coffee is just like anathema to them. It's, it's a really fascinating, you know, like they know how to do rhetoric. They know how to talk, but they don't know how to talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which probably means they don't know how to listen. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I, it, because if con if conversing was primarily talking, a lot of people could do it well. Yeah. But conversing is interacting with what and how that person just shared something. That's right. And it's much more sharing than it is, you know, yeah. uh, expounding upon. That's it. And I and I think it's learning how to share with somebody at a commensurate level with what they just shared. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's a that's an art that we've lost. Yeah. In that, you know, she might be sharing something really sort of deep and revelatory about her experience. And if the guy doesn't know how to like, you know, meet that or um, respond in a way that's somewhat commensurate, then the conversation grinds to a halt. So there's really, there's more to conversating than just saying words, obviously. And maybe this is like the seminar that we need to be teaching at Christian college, like come learn the art of conversation and how to enjoy it and how to engage with an actual person. And we'll teach you the value of it. I don't know. I would, I would take that class. That sounds interesting to me. Yeah. Can, can a person, my fear, you know, so, uh, who is it? Dale Carnegie Mm -hmm. wrote how to win friends and influence people in like the twenties or thirties or whatever. And it kind of became the, the master class on on sales manipulation. Right. I, I kind of hate that book because it's yeah. really more how to how to manipulate people and get what you want out of them totally. by smiling. Totally. Um I would be afraid that a conversation class yeah. would be a skills class. Whereas it really only works if um it really only works if if the person has learned to care about other humans. Yeah, that's it. And I, I think that's I think I mean <laughs> That as sad as it sounds, I think that's probably back to the dating thing. The mm. reason dating has fallen on hard times or so many guys suck at it is because they're selfish. Yeah. Like you can't date well unless you genuinely care about the well-being of the other person, even if you don't know them. Just a general idea of like, yeah, I would like to make this a good time for her. That's right. Well, and I think I th- most guys go into it. What am I getting out of it? And I think it dovetails with the porn thing, which has made all people inherently more selfish, right? Because it is it is in a sense, the most selfish act. Um, and if that's your sort of, if that's how you move through life, then yeah, when you get in a room with another person caring about their needs and background and desires is going to be, it's going to be low on the list of priorities. So I think you're absolutely right. And yeah, those books, they all end up being scumbaggy and manipulative, right? Because you're right. If it's a skills class, then you know, kind of the fallenness of the human heart is going to take over and rule the day and you're going to figure out how to manipulate it. Whereas, yeah, maybe it's a class that's more rooted in what does it mean to be an image bearer of Christ and how do we 
how do we treat other people accordingly? And how do we find the joy in that? You know, um, so maybe that's, maybe that's more the nature of what it would look like, but, uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. Pi. So, uh, what, based on this conversation, what, uh, what do you need to do differently with your sons to, uh, to launch them into the dating world? Yeah. I mean, I think just not putting you on the spot. I'm just curious, like what, where's the rubber meet the road with this? Yeah, no, it's really good. It's a really good question. And these are, these are conversations that we have started to have, you know, by started, I mean the last three or four years with Tristan, who's 18 and going to college next semester, like, here's what here's a way to care for the girl that you've been hanging out with a lot, right? Like don't lead her on and what are your intentions? And just conversationally for us as a family, like, okay, you've hung out with this girl three or four times. Like, do you, do you have feelings for her? You know, and just kind of being a part of that with him and conveying to him, you know, what, what his actions might mean to her, that's been, I think that's been good, you know, and it, it's funny, purity culture has become a punching bag too. And it's the, it's kind of the lowest hanging fruit in terms of things to beat up on in, in Christian culture. But I do think there's a, there, there's a aspect of it that was helpful, which is think about the kind of person you want to date as also being the kind of person that you could see yourself marrying. You know what I mean? So Um, for me growing up in public school, that meant like, you know, it's really not profitable for me to go on a whole bunch of dates with like somebody who's really pretty, who I know doesn't follow Christ and has like all of this other stuff that I know about in terms of reputation. Um, that was more the conversation back then, right? Like you don't want to get your heart attached to somebody who, you know, doesn't share some version of your values. And, um, you know, I, I think purity culture was trying to get at a little bit of that. And I think that still rings true. Um, yeah, I don't know as a, as a parent of daughters, what would you like to see in terms of how fathers train their young men, you know, or, or how KK and I would be, would be trying to shape our guys. I mean, I think fighting the porn battle is, is yeah. paramount in that. Well, I, yeah, I think that's true, and I think, I think the advantage that we have as parents that our parents did not have is so. Twenty years ago, thirty years ago, talking about sex with your kids was yeah like anathema, right? Right. You know, there was the idea of like, did you have the talk? As if parents addressed <laughs> yeah. this thing one time. And the thing about that is, any parent knows if you want your kids to learn anything, you probably tell them seven hundred and thirty times for sure. Turn the lights off, make your bed, do the dishes, clean up behind yourself, leave yep. places nicer than you found them, whatever. Like all of that is just on repeat. So for some reason, we thought sex was a single conversation and then we were scot free. I think that has changed because sex is just pervasive. Mm. Well, we can take advantage of that sort of casualness yeah. to have conversations with our kids that are not super weird and yeah. they're not. You know, like I have daughters, so the conversations I have with them about sex are going to be a little bit more kind of categorical mm-hmm. and principled than they are anything, you know, real personal. Because that feels like a weird boundary mm-hmm. um, for me to cross. Mm-hmm. But I can talk to them about worldview, about the place of sex, about 
you know, when and how to kind of approach it in relationship, how to respond to a guy who's looking for it. All of which was something my parents wouldn't have been comfortable doing. Totally. In in the same way. And I think, you know, the, the idea of talking to your kids about porn, like mm-hmm. porn is an everyday conversation now. That's right. So that's right. That's a thing that we can make part of everyday conversation in a in a fruitful way. Yeah. And I think all of this can can be a pretty positive effect. So it's it's moving away from the purity culture because purity culture was like sex is dirty, purity is virginity, purity is right. Uh, is is uh is kind of keeping your distance mm-hmm. rather than, you know, wh- what does it look like to actually follow Christ to, you know, purity and repentance, those right. kinds of things. And so I think we can, we can readjust that whole, that whole thing with a little bit more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not nearly as stigmatized. Yeah. That's huge, man. That's such a good point. And as you were talking, it occurred to me that maybe the, maybe the greatest thing that we can model to our kids is like, what it means for us to relate to them. So yeah. if I'm having conversations with my boys that are joyful and interesting and far-reaching and I'm asking them great questions and learning about them and doing more with them than just like, you know, hey, don't look at that or clean up <laughs> your room or, um, you know, let me see your report card or whatever, these kind of like harsh, jagged parental boundary, you know, enforcing conversations, then, you know, it follows that they would be good at that in real life and that they would see people as more than just transactional, you know, and it's something that we, that we like to do anyway, and that we're trying to do with our boys. And I think they enjoy it. You know, I think, I think they want to know us, you know what I mean? They want to know us as more than just authority figures or the people that put the roof over their heads and the, and the food on their tables. And, uh, I think that's a good sign, you know, and as our, as our world pipe becomes, you know, increasingly dehumanized via pornography, but even via like Twitter and Snapchat. And it's easy to see the person that you disagree with on Twitter as like a disembodied avatar who you're just going at. You know, so I think there's all this dehumanization happening all over the landscape. And so you're more and more you're fighting for those human moments, you know, a great conversation over dinner or an exceptional hang with friends or whatever. And you feel really enriched by it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely true. And one thought that came to mind while you were talking, thinking about, um, you know, where did we go wrong as parents? We were talking about, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago. You mentioned being an authority figure. Mm-hmm. I think the Christian mentality that parents are only authority figures, which a certain kind of subset of Christians still abides by, like, I'm not your friend, I'm your father. Right. As if it's a polarized thing. You can yeah. be friend or father. And and I think I think it's much better to understand it as like a morphing relationship over time. Right. Where when my kids were little, I was more like, I'm going to keep you alive and I'm going to keep you in line. Yeah. And as they've gotten older, it's like, I need to do less to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. I probably have to do more to keep you in line, but it works better to do that as a balance of, of friend and authority figure. Yeah. Like I need to listen to how you're feeling about things and then try to help you readjust those things as opposed to just be like, no, don't do X and Y. Yeah. And so that idea of kind of narrow-minded authoritarian, I think is part of the reason we've ended up with some of the mess we have because it 
for, for all the reasons you just said, it takes away from modeling what healthy, fun, vibrant human relationships look like. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Pipe, this has been fascinating. I mean, we started out talking about dating, ended talking about parenting, but uh, I think the the two things go hand in hand for sure. And Pipe, speaking of being a good listener, uh, let's let's tell the the listeners about something that they can listen to that will enrich their lives, and it's Dwell Bible. Absolutely. Yeah, listeners, go check out uh, Dwell Bible app. It's an audio Bible app. Go to dwellapp.io slash happy rant, where you can see their special offers for our listeners, as well as just kind of explore their features. It's a, it is, I mean, it's an audio Bible app, but a lot more than that. There's a whole bunch of different features and plans and narrators and Bible versions built in so that you can uh, get into scripture and get scripture into your life in a way that uh, is very difficult to do. Uh, in a busy life when it's hard to sit down and read all the time. So on commutes, going on runs, at the gym, doing dishes, you know, whatever it is, even just kind of having it on in the background as a regular source of encouragement, there's a sleep feature so you can listen to it while you go to sleep. It's a great way to get scripture uh, into your life in a whole variety of ways. And again, it's dwellapp.io slash happy rant. They offer a 33% discount through that link for the lifetime subscription. So that's under $100 you get full full features and then every update henceforth and forever. Or they offer a 10% discount off of the annual subscription, which I think is is under $3 a month. It might be under $2 a month. I can't remember, but it's 2 or $3 a month. Um, and that's with that 10% discount. So again, dwellapp.io slash happy rant. Go check it out today. Once you sign up, you you will uh, you will really love it. It's been a great addition to our family's life. I think, Ted, you and your family use it as well. It's pretty sure. awesome. We strongly encourage you to check it out. Yeah, we love it, Pipe. And I love that promo. Piper, we've done what we always do in this program. And that we've wandered to and fro throughout some topics. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at LifeAudio.com.